Ready to roll? Yeah. Beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host, Sammy Yunan, and welcome my guest, Ali Hassan, whose bio on his website is funny because it starts, Ali Hassan is a stand-up comic, actor, and then chef comes out of nowhere. Chef. So it's stand-up comic, actor, and chef. One of those things is not like the other. Or is it? Shall we get into it? Is it weird for you to be on this side of the mic? Because you do a lot of like Q and other things, right, for CBC? Every, every day I'm on a different side of the mic. I'm never on the production side. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about, like I'm looking at your device con- control box device <laughs> here, right? You yes. can tell my vocabulary is very yeah. technical. I just get a little nervous around that. I have an IT degree also. So it's very, very embarrassing. But yeah. I just, I'm not good. If I have a guy doing the technical side, which I do, I have a podcast. My buddy does the technical side. Mm-hmm. It just makes my life so much easier. It's like a ball of stress, this yeah. box right here. <laughs> but what what side do you like more? What, like you said, you're on both sides of the mic, um, right? So I mean, I always, I've been a comedian longer than I've been an interviewer of people, I guess. And I only learned in the last few years that I'm apparently a good listener. Like there's people, like my wife would tell you, he's not really a good listener. Like <laughs> it, it depends who you ask, but the Yelp reviews, Yelp reviews, my t- yeah. <laughs> uh, but when I, uh, I sit in front of somebody and it's like sort of a more intimate discussion that we're having, it turns out I'm a good listener and I enjoy talking to people. I didn't know that that was a skill I had. Mm-hmm. So I've just discovered that in the last maybe three years where they keep calling me back to do more interviews and yeah. stuff. But that wasn't my thing. My thing was uh, self-promo, which I'm actually not really that good at. It just feels, you know, like we have to... You, you've had Dave Merhege on your show. This yeah. is one of my closest friends. And he says this all the time. We have to get over these antiquated Canadian ideas of like it's it's so un-Canadian to promote yourself and mm-hmm. all that. And it, it takes a while. It takes a while if you have a certain degree of you know, humility and you attach that with your identity and your Canadian background, it's hard to be like, yeah, I'm doing some great work right now. Yeah. It's weird. But at the same time, I think where a lot of people kind of lose the thread is that like you're giving somebody something good. Like if you've done the work, right? Like if you put in the the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours and you've done a lot of stand up, because sometimes self-promotion comes across as like you're the used car salesman. Sure. Right. You're trying to ambush them or sell them a lemon. (laughs) (laughs) Come to the comedy club, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I might be funny. But after a certain point, you got to know that you're good at this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it, I think for me anyway, it comes from other people telling you enough times and you getting those vouches. You mm-hmm. know, I went on a across Canada country tour just for laughs, it, it, you know, brands these tours across the country. And I was one of three comics with Rick Mercer. I mean, if they, if you know, if I didn't have a leg to stand on, I wouldn't be part of that tour. This represents Just for Laughs. This represents Rick Mercer. Mm-hmm. Uh, this represents comedy in Canada. So you have to be at a certain level. Yeah. So, uh, you know, sometimes you go, all right, I, I can I can take a breath and be like, I'm achieving good things. I'm doing good things here. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like comedy, right? Because when you first start out, you try and get up to about like two minutes, five minutes of good material, right? Yeah. And it takes a while. Like people just look at these Netflix specials that come out and they're like, Oh, it's so effortless. Like, Chris Rock's hilarious. Sure. So he just goes up and, like, he's been writing that thing for months. <laughs> and he runs it in clubs where he does it in, like, a soft voice, mm-hmm. no emotion. And if it works with no emotion and it works in, in a small room, then he knows if he makes it big and, and grand and, you know, adds that Chris Rock flavor in an mm-hmm. arena, he knows it'll work well. And yeah. It's so much work that goes into it. So much study. You recently, in October... 
you hosted a uh, Q screen panel, and you were asking them about Dolomite is my name and Eddie Murphy, yeah, 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 the okay. Eddie Murphy Renaissance, yes. as you guys called it. So you just mentioned Chris Rock. Where do you stand with Eddie Murphy? Like, is he somebody influential or? The other night he comic? was on Saturday Night Live, and it's uh, it's like a regret, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I, haven't, I haven't said words like this in decades. Where I'm like, I can't believe I missed Saturday Night Live, but you know, this is it's Christmas time. There's parties. You have to make some hard choices, and mm-hmm. I had to choose not to watch Saturday Night Live. So this week, I have to sit down, go to the NBC website, and I have <laughs> to watch it. Um, and 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 I try not to get too mired in other people's reviews, but so far, you know, people have been generally super positive about. Eddie Murphy back on SNL. And I used to watch him on SNL as a kid. Him and Joe Piscopo had these great duo, Ebony and Ivory. They used to do Frank <laughs> yes. Sinatra, Stevie Wonder. Yeah. So unbelievably hilarious. Gumby, and, uh, Gumby was so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Uh, Robinson's Neighborhood was so great. So uh, I'm, you know, that guy's part of my youth. Now, he's never done anything where I'm uncomfortable with him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas the other people who are part of my youth... Uh, you know, my dad introduced me to Bill Cosby, for God's sake. He was right. like, you listen to this album, and this guy's very funny. Bill um, Cosby was safe, though, right? Like, there was no language. There was no, was it was safe. just like, you know That's what I mean? That's it. That's just it. growing up in Philly stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then became the least safe person to be <laughs> yes. around uh, pretty quickly after yeah. that. But yeah, uh, I feel great about Eddie Murphy. I feel like, you know, and some of the stuff on Ron Delirious doesn't translate now, and that's just... You know, are you talking about the suit necessarily? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. That suit. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you would look like a crazy person in the streets <laughs> yes. with that. But at that time, you, people were like, "What a badass this man yeah. is! Look at what he can pull off!" You know, the red leather jacket and all. This. <laughs> but um, no, some of the bits don't necessarily translate. But that doesn't bother me. That's you know, he was well intentioned and he was doing what he knew at the time. He was a nineteen-year-old, twenty-one-year-old kid. I mean, what perspective did he have at the mm-hmm. time? You know. It's um, the same thing I'm with Richard Pryor, fan. too, like being born in a whorehouse and those kind of sure. like, you know what I mean? Like he saw all those drugs and the prostitution and stuff like that. So it's like, well, <laughs> what did he expect him? What did he expect his comedy to become? Or like, totally. right, like you had to filter all that stuff out and like put yeah. it out. So it's it's a natural byproduct. It's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And I think people have to understand time and place and context, too, sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, like. Yeah, you might hear one Eddie Murphy joke from Ron be like, oh, this guy was a misogynist or is today and always will be a misogynist. Mm-hmm. I think you can't paint, you know, you just can't use that brush for everything. I think context is very, very important. Yeah. So to answer your question, Eddie Murphy was like a huge, um, I'm not going to say influence because at that age I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. But he was a huge uh, source of entertainment in my life and, 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 a, and a, a figure that I was so impressed with at a, at a young age. So then were your heroes, I guess, for lack of a better term, then the cooking, the chef guys? Because the cooking kind of came a little bit first, it, too. It was, it was yes and no. There was, there was uh, people who were my heroes, who I just loved. Um, there's uh, Jacques Pepin, is this guy, an uh, older French gentleman. I met him a couple of years ago and t- got to sit at a dinner across from him. And he has an encyclopedic knowledge of food and his mind. I mean, this man is in his late 70s, early 80s. His mind is so incredibly sharp. And just watching him, because I was like a, a really kind of like a food purist. Mm-hmm. I loved this guy. I loved the guy named Ming Tsai. Uh, I even liked like early Bobby Flay. He wasn't a showman yet. Mm-hmm. He was just a guy doing creative things. But then when I would watch like the Emerald Lagasse, I don't know if you know who Emerald was. He's gonna, he, would, he would be like, now I'm going to add some garlic, maybe a little bit more garlic. And then the <laughs> crowd would go, ooh, garlic. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm so embarrassed that this is happening in the world that I live in. Yeah. 
<clears throat> that people are freaking out over garlic. It sounds almost kitsch or something. It's so kitsch. Yeah. It was so corny and hacky, you know. But <laughs> so, so, so you would watch the Food Network and you could be like, that guy's great. And then you'd be like, that woman is unbelievable. This woman, um, Sarah Moulton, she would do cooking live. So it would be a call-in show. Mm-hmm. And people would ask her live. And she was never stumped. You couldn't stump that woman. She always had the wow. answers for everything. And then you would look at some guys and you'd be like, this clown, I could do better than him. And that's very naive to have zero television cooking experience mm-hmm. and be like, I could do better. But that happens everywhere. Yeah. There's ten- tons of kids who try that in comedy. Mm-hmm. This guy's a comedian. He's wearing a tracksuit on stage. <laughs> yes. And he did a joke that didn't do well. I'm funny than this guy i crack him up at parties exactly exactly you should have seen me with my three friends in the basement the other day everyone was laughing they were dying and then uh and then you get on stage and you see it's a completely different animal Mm -hmm. and it doesn't translate that well yeah 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 there's a lot of is this thing on moments or with some people there's like yo that crowd was so weird were they? Because mm-hmm. they're the final arbiter of whether something's funny or not. So right. maybe you just weren't funny. But people have a hard time um, yeah, processing, processing that. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, comedy is one of those things where it's completely different than all the other arts. Like, if you write a novel, people may like it or not like it. Like, yeah. if you do a performance in a in a movie, some people think you were fantastic and should be nominated. Sure. Other people, like, what? But in comedy, if the people are not laughing, then you're not working. Like, it's not, whatever you're doing is not working. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a pretty simple formula. It really is, and that's and my whole life. Well, I don't know what this says about me exactly, but uh, cooking and comedy both have a level of instant gratification. Com- uh, you know, food, mm-hmm. you had to wait till the plate come back, and you go, they didn't eat the ribs. What mm-hmm. kind of monsters are these people? <laughs> yes. And then, like, three, four more plates come back, and you go, okay, well, I guess the ribs weren't that good. They are probably a bit bland. So, so you work on it. Yeah. I've never made not delicious ribs. I'm just saying that, for example... Uh, I pride myself on the ribs that okay. I make. But, you know, food comes back. And you, you, often the sides that you would make to accompany the main, you're like, I want this to be eaten too. Especially as a caterer, you're like, I spent money on this and I took effort to make this. Mm-hmm. So I want this stuff to be enjoyed as well. And when it isn't, you have to go back to the drawing table and be like, how do I make this more flavorful? So comedy was a very similar thing. You know, they, they're laughing at this part. But then I also want to go off on these tangents. I yeah. also want to have tags. And how come they're not laughing at this? Got to make it more you know, flavorful to use mm-hmm. my culinary experience. So it was like a similar, it was a familiar process to be like, okay, they like this, but they didn't like this. So picking up on that thread then, is, it, is the way that you assemble a joke when you're doing stand-up, is it the same way that you assemble ingredients for when you're making a dish or something? You make sure that it's not too salty or you have to make it more saltier? Yeah. To some degree, it is. To some degree, it is. There's definitely some parallels there. You know, like I, I consider myself to be a, a, a good chef, but there's chefs that are much, much better than I am. Leave me in the dust. Make me irrelevant. However, can they do the things that I do in front of a camera, for example? Can they use the, 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 the same collection of spices that I use to create certain flavors? Maybe not. They might be a great French chef or they might be a great you know, Italian chef but can they make something that's sort of like, you know, Thai inspired with Indian flavors and like really like hitting a bunch of different senses and, 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 and corners of your mouth? And no. So you use what you have available to be the best that you are. So it, it's the same thing in comedy. There's people way funnier. Anybody you find, you'll find people funnier than them. But can they be funny in the same way and the same stages and all that? I've recently learned that I can be. A funny in a in a, a sort of a one man show, you Muslim know, a solo show, Muslim interrupted, and I'm working on another one after Muslim interrupted. We kind of in March we'll be sort of putting the 
the nail into that, and I've got a a, a book deal to uh, to write the book of Muslim Interrupted. Oh, nice! So High five for that. Literally seen this thing to its logical conclusion, you mm-hmm. know, uh, or I will have by the end of by the fall of uh, next year. So it's time to start working on the new show. And in my mind, you know, when I started doing comedy, absolutely inconceivable that I could be on stage for an hour and 20, hour and 30 minutes. That's crazy. You're just getting five, you know? You, yeah. Five was a big deal. And then 10, man, I got 10 minutes. And if I riff for a few minutes, I can do 12. And then yeah. somebody would come along and be like, you have 20 minutes? And you go, yeah, 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 I have 20 <laughs> minutes. Hoping to God that some of these bits you've cobbled together can make, you know, yeah. plus crowd work. And you can get 20 minutes because they booked you on a show now. Um, but an hour and 20, hour and 30 was so crazy. And now you write these shows and you work them piece by piece and you know have, you work them in five to 20 minute chunks at storytelling shows, at comedy shows, and then all of a sudden you're like, this is how it's done. It's unbelievable. That's how Muslim Interrupted kind of got yeah. started, right? Where yeah. like you would start doing these jokes, I guess. Well, Muslim Interrupted almost happened by accident, I would say, because uh, I was doing jokes about my family and my kids asking me about Islam and me being, you know, woefully unprepared to answer their questions. And then I would sort of go and kind of make fun of myself, a little bit of my kids and their questions, but mostly about myself and how I'm not able to answer these questions. And then people would say, you know, repeatedly, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that about Islam. That's mm-hmm. funny. You should keep doing that. And I'd be like, oh, I thought that was a common knowledge. Whatever it was, Muslims fast for the month of Ramadan. Yeah. Or Muslims pray five times a day. I thought this was like the sort of basic stuff that you learn, overview of Muslims. And people are like, I didn't know that you guys do that. I didn't know you guys went to Sunday school. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, that was the most horrible 10 years of my (laughs) life, man. You didn't know about that? Oh, okay. So start talking about Sunday school. All of a sudden, I'm like, I have 20 minutes on Sunday school easily if I think about it. Mm -hmm. And then pepperoni, my my unnatural love for the forbidden fruit, (laughs) which is pork. (laughs) 20 minutes easy on that. And people would be like, I didn't know Muslims couldn't eat pork. I'm like, I thought this was a basic. So now all of a sudden, it was this new feeling of like, oh, I'm informing people. Educating might be too strong. You know, I can't be walking around calling myself an educator. But at least I'm informing people Mm -hmm. while entertaining them. And uh, I don't know, somehow that gave me um, real incentive. It excited me. And it gave me a real incentive to keep working on the same show. And uh, and yeah, so we went from like 45 minutes to an hour and then an hour and 30 eventually. And uh, it's been just like a wild ride from this concept that came up just out of my my failings and my shortcomings in my home in 2016. And your, and your love of pepperoni. And my love of pepperoni, which was uh, which is some people might call that a shortcoming. I call <laughs> it uh, God's gift. But yes. I, uh, I turned it into a, a show and got to tour around Canada, about 30 different cities, 30 different shows. It's been wonderful. And now a, a book. I mean, really? Yeah, yeah. What has pork not given me, for God's sake? <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah. yeah. So is that the title of the book was Pork what Not Given yeah, Me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if not for pepperoni, where would I be? By Ali Hassan. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like a bestseller right there. <laughs> New York uh, Times, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking for a new name. It doesn't have to be named Muslim Interrupted. I'm going to take some notes on this. This yeah. is not a bad idea. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk after. We'll yeah. see if we come and put our heads together. Yeah. And this is the thing, too, because especially after 9-11, there was kind of like a, a general lazy racism, I guess, for lack of a better term, right? Sure. Where, like, people didn't necessarily know anything about Muslims. No, you just fear what you don't know, and you uh, you just sort of live in that fear. Right. And yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not an it's not necessarily an educated racist. It's the same thing with the stereotypes for black people where they're, they're lazy or those kind of things. Yeah. 
So it's just you kind of just dismiss people. Yeah, rather people, if you're going to be racist, I mean, educate yourself. Yeah, do and the work. then be racist. Right. Do the work to be <laughs> the racist. The yeah. best racist you can be. Don't be a lazy racist. So I agree with that. That's inspirational. Yeah. But to pick up on that idea, we've kind of seen now this transition of people like Chris Gethard, Mike Babilia. Uh, I think it pronounces one of my right. greatest one of my greatest uh, inspirations, Mike Birbiglia. Yeah, because he's kind of like straddling that same area you are, which is like doing one man shows, but they're also really comedy heavy kind of. Yeah. And like he also does stand up like in regular clubs and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, he had that new show just recently on Netflix called The Next One. Or the, the Next One. Yep. Yeah. The right? new one. The, the new, new one. one. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. And he also obviously does stuff with American Life. He hasn't done anything sure. for a while. So it's yeah. like that's the kind of like the template, I guess. Dude, this, this man, I, I honestly have to write to Mike Bigley and at least do the, 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 the basic due diligence of saying thank you to this man. Because I didn't know how a one-man show worked. I'd seen it like some John Leguizamo. I'd seen this and yeah, that. Yeah, Sex and Freak I, and those ones. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't see Sex Freak, but okay. I did see something else m very much about his upbringing and his mm -hmm. Latino father. And um, He does all those voices, all too. All those voices, lots yeah. of characters and stuff. So I was like, oh, I can't do all those voices. That's a lot to, you know. And I watched Mike Birbiglia's show, my, my girlfriend's boyfriend or my girlfriend's ex-boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. And that show... Watching how long you, because I was, I'm, I'm a comedy club guy. Mm. You go more than 30 seconds without a laugh, you can see people get uncomfortable. Like, hey, when's this guy gonna get to the punchline? Yeah, right? yeah. So watching Mike Birbiglia do a minute, minute plus of really serious stuff, and then you go, how's this guy gonna get out of this hole he's dug? And then you watch the, and 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 uh, you know, I, I, I kind of modeled my whole approach on his approach. See, and, and, and there was some, you know, work in progress shows I did where, like, I talk about 9-11 mm -hmm. in, uh, in, in Muslim Interrupted. And the first time I did a show at Comedy Bar in Toronto, I was like, uh-oh, I, I, I spent too long on 9-11. Because mm -hmm. the next 20 minutes was, it generally felt like I'm digging my way up to finally get them back. But I went too far into it and talked way too deeply and passionately for too long about what it, how that this had affected, had affected mm -hmm. me without any jokes in it. Yeah. And that's part of the process too, learning how long you can go and, and what you need to do, how you break the tension once you've created those moments. And um, yeah, I credit uh, Mike Birbiglia almost, almost exclusively, because I just watched that special like four or five times and I was like, it's an unbelievable. The, the ups and downs in the roller coaster, and he, he truly helped me understand what a one-man show could be, mm -hmm. uh, a, as far as my own strengths go. Yeah, and he goes on those wonderful tangents too, where like he'll introduce something, yeah. and then he'll go, uh, he'll mention something else, and he'll do this long tangent for about maybe five minutes or ten minutes yeah. or something, and it's not necessarily related to the whole thing, but he brings it all around back. Totally. Like it's a magic trick. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, Dinesh, was like, "Look, the show's called Muslim Interrupted." It's a perfect thing. You can keep interrupting yourself and go on a tangent here, and then you keep interrupting. Oh, yeah. You're the Muslim who's interrupting his Muslim self. It's like <laughs> meta, and then yeah. it got messy. It got yeah. crazy messy. I'm just not smart and clever enough to have that all <laughs> the magic trick in one show. The whole magic trick. Uh, you know, hopefully I can get there at one point. But for mm -hmm. my first solo show, it was important for me to have it sort of chronological, so I could keep it all together in my brain. Also, because I got to be on stage for ninety minutes and remember what I'm going to talk about. Mm -hmm. And in Canada, we just don't have that many opportunities to practice an eighty, ninety-minute show in certain cities and then go tour. You know, yeah, there's yeah. not that many. Also, the show is called Muslim Interrupted. It can't go to every city in Canada. Mm -hmm. There are cities. My agent has called them. 
and said, hey, I, you know, my client Ali Hassan and, and the venue manager will be, oh, yeah, I, I know Ali Hassan. I like Ali Hassan. But uh, that show's not going to work in our town. Mm-hmm. Their town is either sort of, you know, very sort of anti-CBC or, you know, not super favorable to Muslims or let's say not favorable enough where they can fit a 250-seater of people saying, like, we want to see this guy. Yeah, and yeah. I respect those men, venue owners for doing that. I don't want to necessarily spend two days in Lethbridge only to find out that 10 <laughs> people come to my show. For example, I'm just yeah, throwing yeah, Lethbridge no, out there. But, you know, there's are these you know, smaller cities and yeah. provinces that are like, I'm not comfortable with this. Luckily, mm-hmm. I'm on the CBC. It gives me a little bit of a... Okay, this guy's not going to go too robe. He's mm-hmm. a public figure. Yeah, He's yeah. not going <laughs> to light the place on fire. You right, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So uh, it does help me a bit, but not everywhere. Yeah, so speaking of the CBC then, like uh, at the risk of like, sounding like James Bond, how did Q come into your life? I honestly... Um, I mean, everything stems from Laugh Out Loud. I host a show called Laugh Out Loud. And before that, I was on a panel on the George Strombolopoulos show. So I did about 160 episodes. Mm-hmm. That was my sort of foot into the building. And uh, you're talking about the TV show of George Strombolopoulos Tonight. Yeah. What the hour became Mm -hmm. was George Strombolopoulos Tonight. And there was a comedy panel in the last eight, nine minutes of the show. And I was the lead panelist. Mm -hmm. So I did a whole season of that. That was my first time in the building. Mm -hmm. It was like a blessing like I've never had before. You know, I had a family. My wife was pregnant. I married my wife and, and my she has two daughters who are my girls. And then uh, I really didn't expect my sperm to be working. So <laughs> we were a little, you know, uh, casual. Yeah. And uh, within two months of getting married, she was pregnant. I was like, oh, my God, what is happening? <laughs> here? This is really, this is, I went from a single guy mm-hmm. to four of us and then to five of us in under a year. Wow, that's a lot of change. It's a lot of change. And uh, I'm not a guy who really stresses. I just sort of do the work I need to do and, and, and you know, uh, I think I work well enough with people that I get sort of repeat work and, I think I, I made a nice impression in these interviews. We had four interviews that we had to do, uh, you know, in part of the audition process to get into Strombol. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and it, it all worked out, and it was a great moment for my family. From that, I started hosting a show called Laugh Out Loud. We profile Canadian comedians uh, across Canada. Usually a lot of, like, with a lot of them performing, too, like at festivals. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. So we take some of the stuff that they've done maybe at the Winnipeg Festival, the Halifax County Festival, or Laugh Out Loud goes places. We'll be in Victoria in, 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 um, in February. Mm-hmm. We might be in Charlottetown later this year, you know, and we go and get comedians. We, f- we, we record them, and then we, we, we introduce them or reintroduce them to uh, Canadian listeners, and it's been great, you know. It's a, it's a show with a, at least a million and a half listeners. It's a... Um, it's just a great place for Canadian comics to get some exposure. Mm-hmm. And often what you see is that their album sales will go up right after they air on Laugh Out Loud. So I, I really enjoy that. I feel like I'm part of something good for my comedy community. Mm-hmm. Now, somehow, for some reason, I had, I had approached Canada Reads and I had asked if, um, if they were looking for panelists. I have a great buddy, Trent McClellan. He was one of the panelists one year. He won with a with a book called February, Lisa Moore's book, February, great book. So I was like, oh, if they're, if they're looking for panelists who are comedians, let me go submit my name. So I went to the offices and I said, hey, I just want to introduce myself. And they're like, oh, yeah, we know you. And I said, if you're looking for panelists. So the woman there, Tara, who's become a, a friend of mine, she called me a, a f- many months later and said, how come you didn't ask to be the host? You wanted to be a panelist. I was like, oh, I didn't know that was an option. Yes. At the time, Gian Gomeshi had always, he'd done a few years in mm-hmm. a row. He was gone from the CBC. I assumed it was the host of Q 
who always hosted Canada Reads. And she said, This is no. what Dave was saying. Like, have a little backbone and be proud of yourself. Yeah. Right? Like, go up for exactly. the. Exactly. Yeah, right? exactly. Ask for the ball in the fourth quarter. I didn't ask for the ball. I assumed <laughs> the ball would not be given to me. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I resigned myself to accepting that. You were yeah. the Steve Kerr, not the Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm bench mob. I'm yeah. <laughs> happy to be on the bench, bench mob. Yeah. So, um, I said, oh, I didn't know that was an option. She said, yeah, was that something you'd be interested in? So then I got, you know, long story short, I got to host Canada Reads in 2017. And from that, the, produ the executive producer of Q was like, hey, if you can handle five people at once, you can definitely talk to one person at a time on Q. Would that be of interest? And I said, yeah, absolutely that would be. And then that's, you know, I've been, every time Tom Power is on vacation, I'll get a call. Mm -hmm. Or if he has pneumonia, which is kind of often because his hours are insane. Yeah. <laughs> he runs himself ragged. I'll get a call, you know. And it, it's a, there's a, a, a few different fill-in hosts, but I feel like I've gotten a lot of work filling in on Q, and I've really enjoyed it. So we were talking people. about how with comedy, like a lot of people just don't realize you put in all this work to like make the bits and stuff. Can you yeah. give us a little bit of a snapshot of what like Q is like behind the scenes? Yeah, Q is so. It's, it's one of our biggest flagship shows, like in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a premier arts and culture uh, show on radio, and it's uh, it's an incredible team behind the scenes, actually. So let's say I'm I'm going to um, I'm going to interview. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. He played uh, that '70s show. I can't believe I'm blanking on his name um, in this moment. Oh, Ashton Kutcher. I know the other guy, the tall, lanky uh, dude who's had quite a career. Like a, oh. he's got quite a range. Toe for uh, Grace. Toe for Grace. Okay. So let's say I'm interviewing Toe for Grace, which I, I've done. Uh, he's in a new movie with Brad Pitt and a few other people. Okay, so uh, number one, I got to watch the movie. Number two, I got to look at an, a bunch of different clips, past interviews of his, and read past interviews he's done. And if there's research on the movie itself, ask all that. So in the, in the, you know, in the 15 to 20 minutes, I go and research a bunch of different things that could come up. Then the Q producers give sort of a skeleton interview. Like, these are the questions we were thinking of asking. And then I have, you know, full input to be like, I don't think I would ask that. Mm -hmm. Or I don't think I would ask that. Can I know? Because I also have had some experience where I ask people a question and then they turn it on me. Um, Bill Nye, the science guy, do you, and this was a question that was written for me, and I was like, that's ah, not really my voice, but I'll ask it. Bill, do you consider yourself more of an entertainer or a scientist? And he goes, I don't know. You tell me. What am I, entertainer or scientist? <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, damn it. I didn't. Yes. And that he, got, he got kind of uh, yeah. ir irritated. Yeah. So anytime I read something in that space, I'm like, I don't want somebody to throw that back on me. Mm -hmm. I want to have a, instead of A or B, people say this about you. What do you how do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. Right? That kind of thing. So yeah, it's yeah. things that I'm more comfortable with. So together with the producers, we come up for come up with a, a segment, you know, the, the, whole, the, the whole interview. So I'll do that for like a week. I'll do that for a day. You know, Tom Power's job, if there's three blocks every day, mm -hmm. so three different interviews at least, uh, that's 15 in a week. So you think about that, like the host will have to go see a couple of plays potentially. They'll have to watch a couple of series or, or movies. They'll have to read a couple of books. They'll have to go to some exhibits. It's an extremely demanding job, which is why he gets pneumonia as often as he does, yeah, which I is why I get the work that I do. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but in terms of like doing the radio stuff, is it kind of a different muscle, I guess? Because like when you're doing stand-up, you're used to reading the crowd. You can like pause for laughs. Sure. But when you're on radio, there's just kind of like silence, right? There is nothing to like. I know you're reading the guests, but yeah. other than that, like, 
I don't know. I, I just try to create a connection with the person I'm talking to. And it's not always possible. Some people, you know, there have been some people who are really, they just come in in a shitty mood. Yeah. And I, I can't claim to know what their day has been like or what other interviews have been like. Um, the same way that I read a question and I go, oh, I remember how somebody reacted to it. I don't want it. Some people are just like that with, uh, with interviewers. They're like, well, I don't like interview format like this. I don't mm -hmm. like people who interview me like this. I don't want to do this press junket. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing press all day. And I've been doing press all day. I'm right. sick of talking about yeah. my movie with dogs. Yes, <laughs> the dogs were difficult to work with. <laughs> yes. What do you want from me? You they know what I mean? peed on my leg, yeah. Right, peed on my leg. I hate this whole job. Mm -hmm. I hate that I have to do this movie. I'm broke. I got another goddamn 15-minute interview right. about what are the dogs like? <laughs> and I'm you know, So I really try to keep things fresh. So mm -hmm. That's what well, I was asking at the beginning. The yeah, like because you because you're done both sides of the mic, right? Yeah. you know that. I line. know what I would like to be asked too. And if I'm asked questions that, hey man, that's the first line on my Wikipedia page. Like, come on, what are we really doing here? Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to have that in my head as an interviewer or or a, or an interview subject either. Mm -hmm. So I'd ri rather keep it fresh. And that's the best compliment is when somebody goes, hey, that's an interesting question. You know, oh, actually, I, I, li I like that question. I haven't been asked it. That's the best. Yeah. Because you need at least, and, and for sure, if you're asking 10 questions, some of them, there's going to be overlap. There you have to get some is. of the, like some of the, I know you you've talked a lot basics. about Muslim Interrupted, but there are always people that don't know or never heard no, of it. Of course. Of right? Course. So you do have to do that. Sometimes that works. Just to rest your heart here, Sammy. Yeah. You have, you have not asked me any bad questions. This is oh, right. okay. There we go. There <laughs> hey, man, this is not, this is not about you doing no, poorly. No, no, no. I, I know don't that, read into anything I'm saying. No, no, no. <laughs> I know, I know what you're saying, though. Like, I know where you're coming from because it's like, there is like some, you just have to sometimes do that groundwork, right? Before, so you can get to the interesting stuff. Like you said, you got to talk to Topher Grace. You got to ask him about how the dogs were. Get yeah. rid of the dog questions, and then you can get into the real stuff. Like, yeah. you, you know, do you think dogs have a soul or something? Then you can, like, yeah, yeah, get yeah. into the real <laughs> issues, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Did you have a dog growing up? Yeah. Yeah, I had six dogs growing up. Everybody knows this. <laughs> yes. Sorry, man. Yeah, I had I to ask. Yeah. And lastly, one of the other roles you have at Q is a really fascinating job. You get to do uh, CBC Reads. Oh, at, uh, at, uh, at Canada CBC, Reads. I yeah, get to CBC do Canada, Canada Reads. Reads. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's been uh, rewarding in ways that I can't even describe. So every January, you know, the long list comes out, and then somewhere in January they tell me, okay, we've got our short list, so you have to read five books. I'm not a guy who can read five books. No, I'm not a guy who would be inclined to read five books mm -hmm. in a six- to seven-week period. Now I have to do it for work. It's the greatest start to my year where I'm forcing myself to get out of my comfort zone, read books I probably wouldn't read, to be perfectly frank. You know, I'm usually going for stuff about food or comedy or somebody recommends some great fiction. Mm -hmm. I do love good fiction. But life gets in the way of reading. I don't know how avid a reader you are, Sammy, but it's tough. I can get into the books. Yeah. You can get into the books, but you yeah. know, almost everybody has a to-read to list. Yes. And it's an ever-growing list because somebody you trust goes, oh, you got to read this book. You would love this book. You're like, damn it. That's yeah. number 12 on yeah. my list of to-read. The, the pile on the nightstand the gets big. The pile on the nightstand. Right. Uh, a long time ago, an ex-girlfriend of mine was saying that, you know what? Can you read one book a month? I was like, of course I can. So she goes, think about that. That's only 12 books a year. Mm -hmm. Think about how many books are out there and how many different genres and topics and authors and all that. And that's only 12 books a year. That's not even like half that's an nothing. indigo shelf or no, anything. that is nothing. And <laughs> yes. I was like, damn it. And yeah. that made me feel very insecure about the reading level. I was, my father was an English teacher. Oh, so pressure's we had, on. We had 10,000 books in our basement. He had his own library in the basement. So I, I feel like a failure when I don't read. So Canada Reads does something for me personally where I get to be like, 
take that dead. Huh? <laughs> yes. Stick it in your butt. Yeah. Uh, he's passed away. But he, <laughs> I, w- I would say that too. You should open around. every Canada reads with that. Like, <laughs> this is another in, in his face. Like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Didn't think I could read, did you, Dad? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just uh, <laughs> an emotional wreck at the top. <laughs> yeah. The panelists are like, hey, are we ever going to be able to speak about yeah. our books? Not now. <laughs> this is about me. Um, but I just love that for myself. Then yeah. the other thing I love is that it gets very passionate, very fiery often. And at the end of the day, it's like, are we arguing passionately about literature? Ah, oh, there, there is hope for the society in a way. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not a confrontational person who desires argument, but to be in the, in the, in the, in the sea of it and hear people so passionately champion books and the reasons why they're championing books and the issues we should be talking about, I just love it. I love being part of it. And, and the Canada Reads team is another, what a ridiculous predicament they find themselves in. They have to pick five panelists from different walks of life. Mm-hmm. So you can't have five people who are all left, left-leaning liberal. Right. right. You want to find some people who are sort of right-wing or not maybe right-wing, but right-leaning or you know fall right of the, the, the center in their political beliefs. Then you want to have people who literally their voices don't, don't sound the same. Otherwise, for radio, it's like, man, who's talking right now? Right. So the actual quality of their voice should, be, should sound different. Then their, uh, their, their own you know, personal views, their own background. You can't have, you can't have five people from Toronto. Mm-hmm. So where they come from, then their socioeconomic background, then the books that they've chosen. So it's like Canada a, Reads. A Canada Reads. It really has to reflect Canada. Mm-hmm. So it's like a crazy crazy job that they have and by the time it comes to me a lot of the work has been done and it's uh it's 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 a wonderful thing to be part of and that again that's just because i was in the building i asked about something and then i got something else and i've uh, it's been a wonderful thing yeah they posted on their website the uh the long list of 15 books will be released on january 8 2020 and then the uh, final books and the panelists will be defending these books will be revealed on january 22 2020 and then the debates themselves will take place March 16 to 19, 2020. This is usually about the same time. About the same. This is one week earlier. This is during March break. Mm-hmm. So this will be, I, I mean, for me, I love it because that's a lot of kids will come to Canada Reads. Their teachers will bring their English class and this kind of stuff or they'll watch it in school. So this is March break. So we should, you know, we hopefully hear from a lot of kids who were forced by their parents yes. or something <laughs> to, to, to listen to it or watch it on television every afternoon. And so with Canada Reads and like Muslim Interrupted, you like having these larger, broader conversations. Like these are national conversations. These are things that are affecting a lot of people, yeah. different experiences. Do you feel more comfortable kind of initiating these things? Like you said, you're not confrontational, but you are initiating a lot of these cool conversations. Yeah, no, that, that feels great. When I say I'm not confrontational, I mean, I'm not a guy who, I have friends who are just born contrarians. Even if they don't believe in something, they'll say the opposite. They'll say something just because it's the opposite of some. You know, they just weren't, they weren't hugged by their fathers as children. Yeah. And, you know, what can I tell you? I don't know. They have no <laughs> love in their life, and they need to always be like disagreeing with people. That's not who I am. But they hate but, that Topher Grace I, dog movie. Exactly. Right. But if I genuinely disagree with somebody, I'm not. I'm not afraid to talk about that. I and also in in Canada reads, it's interesting because I probably would have bailed a little bit early on some of the, like when it gets aggressive, 
I've probably been like, you know, let's get in. I, it's my job as a mediator. But what you realize is that ratings mean something too. So sometimes you got to let the sort of the, the fire, you got to let some of that smoke come off mm-hmm. so that you really get to, to, to the heart of the battle. But I'm just, you know, as a CBC person, I'm like, well, on CBC, people don't fight, right? There's a civilized yeah. platform. But actually... We're Canadians. We're, yeah, we're Canadian, right? But, but, but in fact, there should be some of that. Uh, disagreement and and it should come from a passionate place and that's great for people to listen to and to hear and get get behind so I I actually really like bringing up those conversations and there's a lot that I've learned that I haven't I haven't I would not have been exposed to if not for Canada Reads and speaking of exposure you are closing out 2018 uh, with Dave uh, 2018 where are you buddy where are you 2019 2019 I know know. (laughs) you're gonna have a tough time writing 2020 yeah (laughs) I'm gonna I'm always the guy on the checks who like has to keep crossing it out I don't know you're closing out 2019 there we go yeah Uh, with uh, another performance I guess the final performance with uh, we're not terrorists with Dave we ain't terrorists we ain't terrorists come on we did bad grammar on purpose yeah well and especially Dave (laughs) too especially Dave Yeah. yeah 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 we he started this over 10 years ago I think about 12 years ago he started this we ain't terrorists tour just to give just to give a platform to sort of what he calls you know brown and beige comics and comics from middle eastern and muslim backgrounds they weren't getting on stage as much at the yuck yucks or at the clubs and he was like oh, i want to do this show i want to do it and i want to bring some of these comics with me and he got to tour a little bit and then he met me in uh 2007 2008 in montreal and i always say the best thing about dave Merhej, especially at the time he doesn't really say no to anything somebody wants to interview him he goes all right somebody wants to like take him somewhere and talk his head off about something. All right, cool. You know? And so I was like, Hey man, could I, could I host the show? He's like, all right. Yes. I don't think he even seen me do comedy. I mm-hmm. think he just agreed. Cause that's who he was an agreeable guy, much less so now, meaning that he has his, his time is much more precious. So he yeah. has to draw lines and, and have boundaries. Uh, but he just got me on sort of like that. And then it just became a thing where he and I worked so well together that we just, it just became us. And so we toured last year, we were in Saskatoon and, um, and, and Edmonton and Vancouver, which is great. And uh, uh, this year we're doing this, and it's the last one because I think this this theme of we ain't terrorists. I think we can move on from this. I don't think we have to explore this theme the way we had to in two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not to say Dave and I won't work together again, but as far as this we ain't terrorists thing about you know the touring we've done and the reason why we've done all this, uh, you know, to get our I think people get that we're not terrorists at this yes. point, right? I think we've hammered it in, yes. you know. But uh, but we still have a wonderful time on stage, and it's it's a great sort of duo show, and um, we have a couple of great openers as well. Mm-hmm. This guy Mo Ismail and uh, and Noor Hadidi are opening for us, and Comedy Bar. People don't know is a great venue. It's already it was half sold about four days ago, so it's it's only like a hundred and ten seater. So if people are interested in that show. Call in, see if you can still get tickets, and uh, and and hopefully you can. Yeah, Dave's on fire too. He's on had fire. A, he's had a great year because he started off with that Netflix special. Yep. Yeah, yeah. day one, January first was that Netflix special. Right? That's it. Now I'm back in 2019. Now. Now you're back, and now you're in the right place. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I I get there eventually. So. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's definitely had like a great year, right? He so. just got off set from the second season of Rami. If people haven't watched Rami, that's a, a mm-hmm. fantastic show too. One of your Egyptian brethren. I'm not sure if you. Yeah. Supported him and watched Rami the show. Yusuf? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. saw it first season. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's great. yeah, it's funny that show because it's like I know some of the what you're talking about with like Muslim interrupted. 
when white friends would watch that show, they're like, I didn't know this. So like, there's a little bit of like dirty laundry aspect to it. Sure. Like, this is the things we do. Yeah. <laughs> this is the way we joke. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, don't tell them all of this stuff. Don't like, tell them all of this stuff. <laughs> right? That's that's the truth. And I, I, mean, I respect Rami for that. You know, we all have an uncle who thinks 9-11 was an inside job. We all have that <laughs> yes. guy in our family. Right. We don't want people to know about that necessarily. But hey, man, it is the truth. And it's like. You know, most white families have that racist uncle or aunt where mm -hmm. they're like, oh, man, like, I don't know if I can bring my Egyptian friend to dinner right. at Christmas because that's going to be weird. Right. Uh, so we have those guys, too. You know, what are you going to do? Every family has their weirdos and, and uh, bring it out. May as well bring it out and make fun of it, I think, rather than keep it completely bottled up. So where can people find you online to discuss either CBC, cooking or comedy? Stand up Ali. I'm a branding genius, brother. This is the best thing I ever did. Stand Up Ali on Twitter, Stand Up Ali on Facebook, on Instagram, and online. It's uh, StandUpAli.com. You made it really simple for people. I made it simple, man. Yeah. I got friends who are like, you know, the real John J.F. on Twitter, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Hack Supreme on Facebook, <laughs> yeah. and then Instagram is like, wouldn't you love to? You're like, well, I can't. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't even remember what your real name is anymore. Yes. Yeah. And uh, after we get off the air, you're going to tell me the secret and the recipe for your good ribs? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of ways to go, man. There's okay. a lot of ways to I'm go. I'm a rib guy. So Are you? Yeah. I like lamb ribs and goat ribs lately. Whoa, you're going deep, eh? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to explore, you know? Right. Pork ribs are never going away. They're always here forever. Yeah, yeah. But just to get, like, some different, uh, some different flavor in. All right. Good. That's okay. an inspirational note. We have to yeah. end it there, right? <laughs> Whenever the ribs come up. So. Yeah, I know, I know. Now our mouths are so watering and yeah. we got to eat something. But uh, thank you, Ali, for coming. We covered like uh, Canada Reads. We covered like uh, your stand up, your one man show, Most yeah. Interrupted. Like we covered a lot. Actually, one thing we did not cover though, I want to finish up on this, is uh, when you were doing the Just for Laughs tour, uh, Rick Mercer gave you a tour of Parliament Hill. He did. He did. <laughs> yeah. That was a lot of fun, man. That was a lot of fun. I. Rick and I had a good laugh about that because it's Rick, uh, our, our friend Ivan Decker and myself in front of Parliament Hill. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like there's these, you know, cop cars there. Parliament Hill, as you, as you would know, there was an attack on Parliament Hill a few years ago. So it's like, you know, the cops and security are all there. And there's Rick sort of like and he's pointing in that building. He's like, that's where this happened. And then he's pointing straight. He goes, and that's where the scaffolding. Was. And then I would point in another building and I'd be like, is that building where this happened? He goes, yeah, in fact, the behind that building is where the... And I look back and the cops were looking, but they knew it's Rick Mercer. They recognized yeah, Rick. Yes. He's like a mainstay in Ottawa. But I was like, man, Rick, talk about a thing that three brown guys could not do yes. at Parliament Hill. Just standing, staring, pointing, yes. and, and looking like we're plotting something. <laughs> yeah. This is this is white privilege at its finest. And we right. had a, a nice good laugh about that. But yeah, a tour of Ottawa or a tour of St. John's, Newfoundland by Rick Mercer is, uh, is a hell of a treat. So if he retires, you think this is a direction he should go? Maybe do, do tours part-time? Guided tours? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got a lot of... Uh, you know, over the years, he's assembled a lot of great knowledge and, and also like, uh, you know, dirty gossip. Yeah, okay. uh, people could pay extra dollars for some of that. So All right. You uh, should pass it on to him. Yeah, That's I'll, a good retirement plan, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, Part-time yeah, tours. With Rick he's Murphy. only 50. He's got to come back out of retirement for something. This is as good an idea as anything. There you go. All right. Thanks, Sally. Thank you, Sammy. So there's a couple of corrections based on the conversation I just had with Ali. When we were discussing John Leguiz... Le I'm not going to be able to pronounce this properly, am I? Leguizamo? John Leguizamo? I think it was better that last one. I mentioned sex freak. Um, 
my Freudian slip was showing. I, co- I combined the two titles of his one man of two I combined the titles of two of his one man shows. His 1998 offering Freak is an HBO special directed by Spike Lee and Sexaholic a love story. It was well that that title speaks for itself. So Sex Freak doesn't exist. There's just Freak and Sexaholic a love story. So that was bad. Sexaholic is my favorite of uh, John's one-man shows. Freak is good as well, as is Ghetto Clown. And if you want a really fun fact about Ghetto Clown, it was directed by Fisher Stevens, who was the white guy playing an Indian guy in the Short Circuit movies. My whole life, pop culture goes in a circle. I'm going to try this again. Leguizamos. Ah, terrible. I'm butchering this. His latest one-man show, Latin History for Morons, is on Netflix if you want to check it out. Like Ali's journey, it was prompted by John's kids asking him questions about their heritage. As for Mike Berbiglia, I think I did that one right. Uh, Mike Berbiglia. A must-see is his 2011 work, Sleepwalk With Me, and the one Ali mentioned, My Girlfriend's Boyfriend. On Netflix, you can see Thank God for Jokes. It was alright. I wasn't blown away with it. That one's more stand-up comedy than kind of one-man show. And the new one, uh, which is what we talked about. It's about him having a kid. The new one. Mike's stuff is fantastic. It's so good. It's really inspirational. It gives you that that feeling like, if he can do this, I can do this. And you really want to kind of try and attempt it. He makes it look easy, which is deceptive. But you still want to kind of do it and get into it. Speaking of inspirational, I am on the Twitter and the Facebook and Instagram, all at my pal Sammy. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in the Netflix world. Jokes, yo.